What a difference a day made. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Story Forge podcast, where making things matters. I'm Lyle Smith, your host. I'm a writer, a storyteller, a marketing professional, a runner, a pocket billiard enthusiast, and this week a home tile installer. But none of that matters right now. What matters right now is that I have for you another in a series of great stories of people who make things, how they do it, why they do it, why it matters to the world, and how they found their way onto the path that matters to them. Arun Sharma is a PhD stem cell biologist. He's just in the past several months founded his own lab at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. He's husband to a medical doctor, father to a new son, a pandemic baby born in the last days of 2020, uh, a product of the public schools of Rockettown, USA in Huntsville, Alabama. He's a snowboarding enthusiast, and among other really fascinating work, he's sent experiments growing and studying heart cells to the International Space Station. Also... We're coming up on a full two years since I began this podcast, a full two years since what was then known only as coronavirus reared its head and started to change the way we lived our lives here in America. What a difference a a day or a year or two makes. We're coming out of it, or at least we've declared that we're coming out of it. More people around the country are vaccinated than not, even here in Florida. We're meeting with people in person again. We're wearing masks less. I hope we're still washing our hands more and giving other people a little more space more often. We're shaking hands a little bit less or at least a bit more carefully. And personally, I'm grateful I've had the opportunity to start collecting these stories. I've had a great chance to speak to some really interesting people doing really interesting things, and I hope you've enjoyed them. Uh, And I hope you will continue to enjoy them and learn something along the way. That's why I started doing this in the first place. I wanted to learn from and get to know better some of the smart people in the world. And in today's episode, I had a chance to speak with another one. Here's my conversation with Arun Sharma. There we go. And we're on. The red light is on outside the room. Uh, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Where Where are you right now? So currently, I am in sunny Los Angeles, Southern California. Actually, sitting in my guest bedroom recording this. <laughs> so everybody has to have their own kind of dojo place to record these things these days. Now, right? <laughs> That's it. Well, you're you don't call it your guest room. Well, this is my guest room too. It's my it's my <laughs> office, my guest room, my studio, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, cool. So, and you mentioned just before we got started, you were talking, you, you do your own podcast too. You do, uh, the stem cell podcast. Yes, that is right. Yeah. How's that going? How long have you been doing that? We've been, uh, so the podcast itself, the stem cell podcast has been going on for close to half a decade now, actually even longer, about six, seven years or so. Mm -hmm. I've actually started co-hosting it, um, about two years ago. So oh, cool. right before the pandemic got started is when I actually got started with the podcast. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Great. Great. So what kind of things do you just talk about, like technical stuff or uh, you're trying to open open the subject to a wider audience or what's 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 the goal? Yeah, we, we try to mix it up as much as we can. I mean, it is definitely geared towards a stem cell centric audience, folks who have some technical expertise in the field and, you know, are trained biologists for the most part. But a lot of what we try to do is to distill knowledge in the field and bring it to in a way that anybody might be able to relate to it and understand it. At least that's the hope. I mean, cool. the execution is never perfect, but I think a big aspect of the podcast has also been trying to focus on the trainees, the the students in the field and really inspire them to get more actively involved in this field and perhaps pursue a career in stem cell biology. So, so we try to make it accessible and we try to balance the, the technical part of it. Yeah. Too. Well, sort of, well, you, well, you're talking to people who are, who are interested in the subject to begin with. And, and, yeah. it's, and it's, and it's, uh, you know, it seems to me anytime you can, you can make people more educated about a subject, um, the more valuable that subject's going to be down the road, you know, it's especially something like stem cells. Cause it's, um, I have any number of, of 
probably crazy questions to ask. <laughs> like, like for instance, when my son was born, we did the, uh, the cord blood thing mm. and they talk about having stem cells available in case something comes up later and all that kind mm. of stuff. Is that a thing? Should I ask you, are you the one to ask for that? Yeah, it, it is a thing. I mean, it, there are certain disorders of the blood, for example, where cord blood could be useful for down the road. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, having this knowledge of the field that, you know, that's like, oh, stem cells are a thing, they're a reality, I think is important in part because there are some, let's say, bad actors in and around the stem cell field that are kind of co-opting the field and turning it into something that's not necessarily ethical and not very scientifically founded. Right. So there's all of us here who are like stem cell biologists who are really crazy about the science and passionate about the science and make sure the science is good. But unfortunately, because of the, the beauty of the field and the power of stem cells, right. uh, we attract all sorts of folks. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing battle in our field. Well, it's, I would say it's an interesting thing because you, you have... Um, it's a spectrum of, of um, understanding of, of what stem cells are, at least among the general public. And, mm -hmm. you know, cause you have, you have like on your side, you have the, the real hardcore scientists who are doing the research and understanding, you know, uh, what's possible now, what's possible down the road, what, you know, what might be possible down the road, uh, which is what excited me about the topic. When I first talked to you about taking your experiment, into the uh, the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. But then on the other, you know, all the way to the other side, you have, you know, you talk about people who are maybe bad actors. Are, are you talking about, are they people in the science or are they people mainly in the business end of it trying to, you know, create something yeah. financially yeah. feasible out of it? There you go. It's more, you know, folks, more on the, the business side of things. Also, some medical folks who are trying to, take good science and, you know, spin it in a way that may not be as good or in the worst case, potentially harmful to people who are looking for hope, you know, right. hope for treating different types of medical diseases. Right. Um, that, that's the, that's the sad part of it. That's a hard one to take. I mean, you see that, um, ironically, I, I jotted down a note because I was reading some, some, something I read about you recently and, uh, you were talking about some of the stuff you're working now about growing stem cells in a, uh, in a, in a Petri dish. Right. So yeah. you talked, yeah. the, the term was in vitro, yeah. which of course in my head went to, Oh, in like in vitro fertilization question, sure. mm -hmm. uh, which I guess is the same kind of technique, but different goals. Right. Yeah. It's when we're talking about in vitro, all that means is growing cells in a dish, whether yeah. you're using that for studying basic biology or for, making, you know, human embryos for putting into folks for in vitro fertilization yeah. to help them have kids, right? Mm -hmm. In vitro, that phrase, all that means is in a dish or yeah. outside of the body, right? So it's, I don't think it's particularly like a, like a scary phrase. It's no, something it's that not, but is it's just out one there. of those things I've, I've yeah. learned something new today. Just yeah. Now. That's cool. There you go. Uh, but, you know, so you have, and, and then also, I mean, the others, again, still further out on that spectrum of, of when you talk stem cells, you start talking, uh, you know, people who are afraid of using, you know, um, things that might be against their moral or religious beliefs and not really understanding what's going on. Do you run into that much with what, you know, what you're talking about? Yeah, we do. And part of it comes back to combating some of the misconceptions that people have about our field. Mm -hmm. I think what you're alluding to are embryonic stem cells, which utilize early human embryos to right. uh, for studies. And honestly, for the most part in the field, we actually do not use those cells at all. I've actually never used embryonic stem cells in my own research. And that's because there's actually other stem cells out there that you can create from a small sample of someone's own skin or blood that has nothing to do with human embryos. And the cool thing about these other type of cells, which are called induced pluripotent stem cells or iPSCs, right. is they have, they're identical. They're in all essence, identical to embryonic stem cells and right. just as powerful. Right. And because you're not using a human embryo to, to make them, I'd like to think they're ethically much more, less charged. Yeah, no? <laughs> they're, they're organic, <laughs> non-GMO stem cell. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, it's something that it's, it's something that has been perfected in our field is actually such an amazing technology that it received the Nobel prize, uh, in, in medicine in 2012, this idea of making stem cells from a small sample of your own skin or blood. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's exceptionally powerful. The cells made from these induced pluripotent stem cells could be used for therapeutic applications right. or for like what I do, which is more drug development and disease modeling and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a really exciting time to be in our field right now. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you're in, you're at, uh, you're at Cedar sinai now. Uh, that's right. It's a, that's right. Uh, it's a new lab. We were talking about this earlier. It's about to say you've been there about six months. Yeah. Uh, and but and where did you come from? Where were you before that? You were in you were back east here somewhere. Yeah. Before that, I was actually in Boston yeah. um, doing my postdoctoral fellowship of, of there at the Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. Um, I was up there learning everything there is to know about genetics. And there's this new technology that's come out in our field in biomedical research called CRISPR. You might have heard yeah. of it. It's like super powerful. It's an easy way to edit the DNA. So I wanted to learn everything there was to know about that. Right. In part so I could like take that knowledge and that expertise and bring it to my own research laboratory which is like you know where i'm at right now right that's cool so they but the crispr thing because i i my understanding of crispr came through the 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 interviews and and writing i did with with uh, cases and the international space station so um you know it's funny when you're working with things you you put (laughs) terms together with what you know them from. Yeah. So, uh, but that's the uh, CRISPR is just, it's just, it's, it's a genetic research tool. Yes. So yeah. It has nothing to do with space. They just happen to be using it in space. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's got nothing to do with space on its own, but it can be applied for research in space. I mean, right. all you, you can think about it as just a pair of molecular scissors that you can use to cut the DNA at pretty much whatever site that you want. Nice. So, um, Tell me about where you where where do you come from? Where are you where are you from originally? Because I know and where does where does a molecular uh, stem cell biologist come from? <laughs> sure, I can back it up way back uh, yeah. from the beginning. I guess so. I was yeah. born in India actually, and um, I didn't spend too much time there. My family actually moved to Huntsville, Alabama, mm-hmm. Rocket City, USA, when I was right. uh, two years old. And, um, that's part of the reason that I got super interested in space is because Huntsville is such an, a NASA hub and everyone there, it seems like is doing something in the aerospace or defense industries. Mm-hmm. Right. So I kind of caught that bug from an early age. Cool. And I was also like, again, part, uh, partly from being raised in Huntsville, I was exposed to science and technology at an early age. And I felt like that's what I wanted to do from, from the time pretty much when I was like 10 years old, you know, I wanted to be a scientist. Um, and after what, what that, brought you to, yeah. what, what brought you to Huntsville in the first place? You're, were your folks in the, in, in the space, in a space gig? Yes. So my, my, my dad is actually tangentially associated with NASA. He does a lot of collaborations with, with NASA through his mm-hmm. own work. He's actually also a, a, a professor at a small historically black college in Huntsville, um, does a lot of physics work, fiber optic design, that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously by the nature of his work, he does a lot of collaborations with NASA. Sure. That's cool. Yeah. So was yeah. that, so that being around that was, uh, um, I'm just thinking like smart family is bouncing around in head right now. So I'm like, you, was that, was that a, an influence towards science or was, uh, you did Where does where does your, your interest in science come from? Yeah, I think it's, it's exactly that. I was very fortunate to be raised in an environment where science was heavily valued, not just because of my family, but also because of the city that I grew up in, you know, a sciences, all I've wanted to do because of those influences. I was right. really lucky, lucky in that way. Right. It's funny because I have um, uh, one of my best friends growing up was uh, was Indian as well. His father was his father's mm-hmm. a, 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 f- a physicist as yeah. well. He's out in San Diego now. Um, and his two sons were uh, my buddy was a uh, aerospace engineer. Oh, cool. And uh, his uh, his brother was a he's a PhD in third world politics, I think. Oh, wow. Or something like that. But it's like all this, like really like heavy education family lived next door to me growing up. Uh, which is why I think, you know, I hear, I hear your story and I'm like, Oh, I, I, I kind of, 
I have I have a familiarity with. I don't know it, but I have a yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's um. I mean, it's something that's kind of the immigrant mentality. It's like you know, you have to work hard. You have to, and part of it is for survival, right? You, we're drilled at an early age that education is the path to success. So if mm-hmm. you have to, you have to work hard at school because that's how you take advantage of this amazing country that has given us so many opportunities as immigrants. Like you take advantage of the educational system and that can lead you to a better life. Right. And a lot of times that works its way through the science and technology fields because there's a lot of opportunities as we know in in science and STEM these days. Sure. Sure. And I wonder, you know, I I often wonder if, if, if uh, that immigrant mentality, as you call it, would, would benefit a lot more of us non-immigrants uh, if we embraced it a little more strongly at an earlier age. Um, sure. I mean, I think it's it's not just exclusive to immigrants. It's anybody no, who no, no. wants to work hard, right? It's I just I feel so privileged and fortunate to be raised in this country that right. has just given me so many opportunities to do what I want and right. for my family as well has given us a place to to thrive right 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 cool so you uh so what what was your schooling growing up did you uh did you I'm, I'm 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 trying to track the how do you how do you get from uh immigrant family in Huntsville Rocket City USA <laughs> uh to Harvard to Cedar Sinai I'm jumping, yeah. I'm jumping strongly there. I know those are big jumps, but <laughs> no, it's fun to to think think back and reminisce for a little bit. But yeah, I'm a byproduct of um, at least for my primary schooling, all public schools, yeah. Huntsville City Schools. Um, interestingly, <laughs> like yeah, it's it's, it's a, it was a great city to be involved in public schools because the schools were really good for the most mm-hmm. part. Also, interesting side note, tidbit, most of the schools in Huntsville were, as you might expect, named after either astronauts or things associated with the space program. Yeah. So I remember I went to Challenger Middle School, for example, and Gus Grissom High School. (laughs) (laughs) And there's like a Columbia High School and all sorts of cool things. So it's a neat place to live. But yeah, we have we have that around here and I'm, I'm going through that with my, my son's 12. And so he's, he's going into middle school. And so all the schools around here are named, you know, uh, you know, if not the school, then programs in the school, then street names and everything else is all, yeah. uh, you know, cause it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, Cape near Cape Canaveral. So everything is there you go. Sort of space oriented and yeah. same thing. And I didn't have that. So we moved here from New Jersey about seven years ago and, and mm. we did not have any of that, uh, military defense space, anything where I came mm. from, we were, we were communications, I guess, and, and, and pharmaceuticals yeah, were the big industries and where I was from. But, uh, so it's been, it's been different moving here but it's been cool it's been it's you know i think the schools, some of the schools are are, are good as a result of that because right. the industries are here um so that's cool so you went to public public high school gus grissom high school and <laughs> then uh where'd you go where'd you go after that yeah after that i uh stayed in the south but i was you know uh, accepted to duke university over in north carolina ah, cool. in, in durham north carolina Go Blue Devils. Absolutely. And, you know, part of it, honestly, part of it was the basketball. I would be lying if I told you otherwise. I grew up a big basketball fan, watched a lot of Duke basketball growing up. So, right, right. Great school. It's got good basketball, whatever, you know, you can't complain. You see my thumb over here. There we go. Villanova over here. Uh, You know, also great, great school, great (laughs) basketball. You know, you know what that's all about, right? No, absolutely. It was, it was a passion for everybody all winter. You know, it was great. Yeah. Cool. Very good. Very good. So you are, uh, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you the question, your, uh, Indian family immigrants, mm-hmm. uh, science. Yep. You're a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, are your parents disappointed? You're not a, like a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great question. And I, I would say no, in part, because I honestly didn't have any doctors in my family, which, yeah, the stereotyping in the Indian Indian community is like, oh, you know, all the Indian kids go out and become doctors, which is kind of true in some ways. You know, that is something that (laughs) in some ways our community, I don't want to say pushes on us, but encourages us to do. Well, I mean, Um, stereotypes don't come from nowhere. 
you know, yeah. and it's, it's, I mean, there, I'm, I'm just making a, a silly joke here, but it's, it's, uh, there's truth to it. There's yeah. absolutely truth to it. Um, I have so many, like my, my wife, who's also Indian is a doctor, for example. And I know oh, there's so many other kids in that situation. And again, part of it has to go back to that immigrant mentality of, oh, this is a, a good career. You get a lot of money. You have a good impact on society. You're respected. What's right. wrong with being a doctor, right? right. Which is, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being, there's nothing wrong with it right so yeah yeah well it's like the old the old gag the kid brings home a b plus and is there something wrong with an a (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean so there's certain extremes that are associated with that mentality which you know i i don't like and uh, sure 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 i i think it's good to encourage a kid to follow his passion his or her passions um but again it's 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 a good job it's respected makes a lot of money but but I will say, and I think I'm allowed to say this, having so many people that I know in my immediate family, like my wife and other folks, be right. doctors, it's a rough road training wise. Like it is a long, long, very long road that's marked by a lot of intense training, not a whole lot of time to to have a lot of fun in your 20s, honestly, yeah. which is yeah. the time when you're supposed to be having a ton of fun in your life. You're, you're stuck training and you have to be really passionate about it to yeah. really make sure that you get through it. Right. Um, it, I've seen it again and again, folks who just don't necessarily have the passion for it, who are enamored with the idea of becoming a doctor, for example, and are just not right. able to make it through the medical training because right. it's just so intense. Right. Right. It's like we've, um, you know, I remember that I had a lot of, for whatever reason, I had a lot of uh, engineers in my, in my circle. Uh, yeah. going through school and um, they were sort of the same kind of um, mentality. I mean, it's not, the, I mean, the, the, to get your medical degree and especially if you're a surgeon or something like that is so intense, it's a whole nother level, but uh, you know, there's a lot of that sort of highly competitive, self-competitive thing that goes on and it's like, wow, holy cow. Yeah. So um no, I get it. I get it. But on the other hand, you're, uh, you know, you have you have a PhD. You also have had your work, you know, fly around the earth <laughs> outside of our atmosphere, which is kind of cool, right? It's kind of cool. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. So that was, I think that was the last time we talked when was, was when that was about to go. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that, just give me a quick summary, what, what you were trying to accomplish with that and did you? Yeah, yeah. That, I, I still think it was the coolest science experiment that I've ever been a part of. Even five years later, it, that's, that still holds true, right. in part because of all the things we talked about. I mean, I grew up a, a space fanatic and getting the chance to intersect two of my passions in stem cell biology and space science. It was just right. a dream come true, right? Um, and I think science-wise, it was, it was an important experiment. We wanted to show if you could actually do long-term cell culture on the International Space Station, we right. grew these cells for like 30 days, these actual contracting, beating heart muscle cells that are derived from stem cells. And the experiment was really a, a success right. in large part because of the amazing collaborators that we had to help actually design some of the hardware to grow the cells in. Um, our biggest help in orbit was, of course, Dr. Kate Rubens, the NASA astronaut right. who took care of our cells for us and did regular imaging and genetic analyses and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We were also so fortunate that she it was a biologist in her former career. So she was able to kind of speak the same language and she's actually become a mentor of mine ever since, which has been super cool. Um, Yeah. And then after that, yeah, when the samples came back, we were actually able to to see some changes in the way the cells genetics actually performed in orbit and also the ways uh, how the cells actually changed their contractility, their, their beating ability. And for the most part, these changes actually reverted back to the normal when the cells came to the planet, mm-hmm. uh, back to the planet. So it told us a lot about the cells of the human body and how they're able to respond to the rigors of space flight. Mm-hmm. And in particular, how malleable certain cell types are. You put yeah. them in an environment like microgravity and they start changing their genetics and their function to adapt to that environment. And right. then once you take them back to the earth, those changes revert back to normal. So it yeah. tells us about the the plasticity and the malleability of the the human body in gel, in general. Cool. And how does yeah. that how does that help us understand how things work here? 
you know yeah what's, what's the benefit to like you know some joker like me on earth yeah 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 it's like a great question and it's part of the reason that cases was interested in our work because cases is all about oh bringing these benefits of doing space research back to the planet right mm-hmm. that's really their their mo and for for this for this particular project one of the applications is for studying aging which is unfortunately something that we're all going through we're all getting older unfortunately don't threaten me hey, no i feel it too i feel it too man i'm not threatening you i'm i'm right there with you um but yeah so what we experience in space even at the cellular level is a form of what's called accelerated aging so astronauts their bones degrade their muscles degrade even their heart degrades at a ra- a faster rate than it would on the earth right and to counteract some of these measure these things these these uh degradation phenotypes like what you're seeing with bone loss and muscle loss mm-hmm. and all that they have to exercise all the time mm-hmm. right and we have an understanding of what's going on at the organ level like mm-hmm. people's astronauts bones they lose their mass and their heart muscle loses their mass but we had less of an understanding of what happens at the cell level mm-hmm. okay and what the hope is if we can understand what's happening at the cell level then maybe we can understand some of these diseases of accelerated aging that are happening on the ground. Right. And a couple of examples are like osteoporosis, right? right. An accelerated aging disease of the bone, right. sarcopenia, different muscle diseases, even cardiomyopathies, different diseases of the heart, which are all forms of accelerated aging in a way, but mm-hmm. happening on the ground. So right. it's almost like we're we're using this as a model system to study of these real, very real, and unfortunately, uh, diseases that a lot of us experience, and you know, different heart, muscle, bone diseases on the ground. Right. So yeah. did you did you set out to find something out specific, or did it, uh, or or you know, because science <laughs> people people the, the idea of follow the science has been going around for the last two years now uh, yeah. in very visible ways, and and I don't think people always understand what that means. <laughs> So, you know, because sometimes science finds out things that, you know, I mean, you follow the evidence, right? And you see where it's going and and you you don't always, what you find out is not always what you set out to find out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I think for this particular experiment, we were just following where the the environment and the science would lead us. I don't think we were necessarily hunting for anything. It was more of an exploratory experiment. Right. Um, And that science works great in that way. You know, sometimes you have to have a hypothesis. Other times you're more hunting for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the traditional form of science has always, at least for somebody with a scientific training, they've drilled it into our heads. You have to have a hypothesis. You have to have mm-hmm. a hypothesis before you do an experiment. Right. I don't think that's true anymore necessarily because there are really cool new tools out there that basically allow you to hunt a hypothesis in a lot of ways so you don't have to have one ahead of time you can just uh send the cells up there do something like rna sequencing which tells Mm -hmm. you about all the genes that are changed up and down left and right in the cells and then you develop your hypothesis after you get your data well then you see you see how how the environment they're in affects affects them uh, at that cellular level you see what, you what changes right and then you interpret what those changes mean yeah 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 that's there cool you go. and then you make your hypothesis and then maybe you can have your next set of experiments after that right right and then you know applications come after that mm-hmm. right yep. yeah mm-hmm. it's cool it's because I always I always laugh I worked for a long time at the the IEEE I don't know if you know it it's the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Hmm. And we dealt with a lot of, um, you know, people in the industry and a lot of people who were in um, academia and doing hmm. research and what have you. And the 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 dig on them was all the the researchers was always that you know they're they would tell you all about the how how this is revolutionary research and this revolutionary understanding and blah 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 blah. And all the industry guys would say, yeah, but what can you do with it? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's sort of, you know, how, how in your field, in your area, where, where does that, you know, where, where do you interact with that idea? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really important question. And I think these days in biomedical research, those lines of basic versus translational biology are, they're really getting blurred, especially in a field like mine, stem cell biology, which is so geared towards actually getting 
therapeutics and drugs and products into people and actually treating people. Mm -hmm. I think even if you're a basic scientist like I am, you can, I'll just give an example. You can make a discovery in your lab and then the next month you can go like spin out a company, like get some IP on it, get a, get a patent on the technology, spin out a company, and then your company is going to develop a product that's going to go into patients. And this happens all the time these days. This is like part of the reason why we're in the golden age of biomedical research right. is because we can actually go from basic discovery to translation in a legitimate amount of time. So like yeah. less than five years, yeah. and this is actually happening. And the other thing is, you know, I hear what you're saying, this kind of divide and this animosity almost between the, the basic scientists and the, yeah, they, the industry folks. Right. But it's these like days, gangs, they should have jackets. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is these days there's so much jumping back and forth. There's, I know so many professors, research scientists in academia who have jumped into industry. And then five years later, they've actually decided to come back and restart up their labs right. and vice versa. So this training has become so like intertwined and intermingled that I don't think those silos necessarily exist anymore. Right. Um, I, I will say though, I, I think there's certain places in the world that are way better at kind of this intermingling between basic science and, and industry than others. Like, obviously I'm in, I'm in a place like California, which is a, a hub for entrepreneurship. And Absolutely, there's yeah. also amazing academic institutions here uh, right next to say like Silicon Valley, where you mm -hmm. can actually spin out an idea and turn it into a legitimate startup. Right. So I think there are other places around the world that are trying to adapt that mentality and that ethos of like, oh, I, I can make a discovery and then actually turn it into something real. Right. Right. Well, I mean, but that gets into the, you know, the, the business side of things, which is, you know, whether, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, science and biology here and, uh, you know, medical advancement and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for any product, really, I mean, the question is, okay, what's, you know, what problem does your product solve? If it solves a legitimate product for enough people, yeah, it's a real business. And you go from there and that, that's going to attract investors. But that gets into my area of expertise where, you know, when you talk about communications, yeah. somewhere along the line, a, a general or a general-ish audience needs to understand what's the practical application of this thing that you're working? Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's really impressive, but what can I do with it? So, yeah. um, you know, that, that be, it's, that's further down the road, but I have seen, it's funny. I have seen, uh, you know, from the work I did with cases, really a lot of these spin off companies, um, that were doing, you know, not the same thing as you, but some of the, some similar approaches to, to, uh, biomedical stuff and yeah. and they're spinning out into real companies and what's interesting there it becomes now the person who whose sort of idea it was or who was heading up the research now becomes the head of the company which is a whole different set of challenges right yeah you know because your expertise is in in science and in a lab and and running an experiment and and, and interpreting that data and, and knowing you know what to follow in that mystery um you're um, I'm not aware of you having an MBA, but that doesn't mean you don't have one. Uh, it's it, getting into the, okay, now how do I make that into a product that I sell to people is an entirely yeah. different set of skills. Yeah. I'll make an analogy though. I mean, that, that is true for the most part. Like as a scientist, I have no business background training, right. that sort of thing. But the weird thing that's actually happened very recently and has forced me to kind of learn more of a business background and mindset is I started my own laboratory, yeah. right? And no one teaches you about management in grad school. <laughs> Nobody teaches you about like any of these MBA skills, which I think would be super helpful for, for folks hoping to start their own lab. Because the analogy is when you start your own lab, you're basically starting your own startup, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, you're yeah. given money to have a small like area to do science and it's a lot of the same issues and dynamics that you have to interact in. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you, can you hold that thought? Yeah. No worries. I, I hear you dog. <laughs> no worries. Sorry about that. No, no. That's no uh, yeah. They also gets a little nutty with the uh, doorbell ring. That's part of the, you know, the hominess of our yeah. guest here. I, I've heard, actually, I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, when we were interviewing Kate Rubens, 
yeah. on the stem cell podcast. She yeah. actually had her dog barking in the background. It was, uh, oh, God, it's funny. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. It's, 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 it's his next door. Yeah. Okay. Door. Come here. Say hello. Hi. Say hello, real quick. This is Arun Sharma. Hi. Hi. How's it going? He's a Good. molecular biologist. He had an experiment in space. Hey. Yeah. We're about. Yeah. What's your name? Oh. <laughs> okay. See you. Aiden. His name is Aiden. Aiden. Cool. Yeah, he's a good kid. And he met uh oh god, who did he meet? We had an I had an astronaut on here one time. And, nice. You know, so he's he's he make he makes appearances from time to time. Yeah, Greg Johnson, right? I did. Yeah, I saw I that actually. He's a good guy. He's a good yeah. guy. I met him, I met him through cases. He was uh right. the CEO there. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, I went I I met with him, we met out for beers one time just to mm-hmm. chat. Yeah. Uh, to, so I could get to know each other before I did the interview, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I had beers with an astronaut. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. I mean, they're like just normal really, people, right? They're everyday yeah, people. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and what was more impressive to me was he was personal friends with Chuck Yeager. Yeah, I'm like, holy <laughs> cow, that's cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> what was that he is like? pretty cool? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, so back to, so you have a lab now and you're, uh, but so now you have, I got news for you. They, they don't really teach management to anybody as far as I can tell, you know, anywhere <laughs> I've ever been, I, there's, yeah. an old, there's an old expression. They say people get uh, promoted to their own level of incompetence. So, yep. uh, you know, you're really good at one job and then they say, okay, we're going to promote you so that you manage a bunch of people like you. Yeah. And you don't know, I don't, what makes you think I know how to manage people, you know? No. Uh, so you have to learn it in a hurry. How have you done with that? Well, you know, I, I think part of it is having good mentorship. It's talking to people who have been in your shoes and picking their brains and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And also figuring out what style of leadership works for you, you know? And right. um, I, I like to think things are going pretty well, but again, like I have a pretty small group of people working under me right now. I would right. probably, you probably should probably ask that question in like five years when I have like, you know, maybe three uh, or four uh, times more people in my lab and then everything's falling right. apart. I don't know. Maybe it's right. a totally different mentality that I have to pick up. But I, I'd like to think that I would be, a, a boss or a leader that's more hands-off as opposed to more of like a micromanaging kind of person. I mean, I've seen all different types of that kind of leadership in academia, folks that kind of are looking over their students and postdocs shoulders and stuff right. like that, just to make sure that the science is going good. And other folks who are totally hands-off and giving their folks a lot of independence. Right. I'd like to think I'm the second, yeah. but it also takes a lot of trust in the folks that you're working with and guiding to make sure that they're doing everything that they're supposed to, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I, I, I heard and I forget who it was, who said, who said this, it was a, it was an interview and they were, they were talking about a movie director who said something like, um, you know, 90% of a great movie is casting. Yeah. You know, so if you hire the right people and you can trust them to do the job, you know that they, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to coach you into doing your job. I can coach you into what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. But I can't, I know you, you're really good at what you do and that's why I hired you. So I trust you to do that. Yeah. And, um, and in the end, I think that works out better because, you know, I mean, if you have to, if you have to stand over people's shoulders and and make sure they're not watching the clock, that's a different kind of a, problem to have than having somebody who's expert in the wrong field you know yeah yeah I, I agree with you and it's part of it also and this is something i'm also learning on the fly i'm learning a lot of things on the fly right now yeah. um is how do you vet those people ahead of time and how do you identify the the folks who are going to be amazing highly driven independent people versus the folks who maybe need a little bit more micromanagement you know right. uh, on the academic side it's like you get an application, you get a job application, you give somebody an interview, but how much can you actually glean from one chat with someone? And I think that's part of the reason why having references and recommendation is, is it's so critically important. And part of it is it's, I get it. There's like an element of not nepotism per se, but folks who know folks are going to help hire folks. You know what I mean? There's always right. a connection there as opposed to having. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why you end up with good teams. have have a lot of people who have worked together before. 
Yeah. You know, because yeah. they know each other and they speak the same kind of shorthand and they, um, you know, they, they know in the trust level. They know they can trust each other. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, you're not going to leave me hanging. Um, or you're not going to leave me hanging again. Right. right, right. <laughs> that happened once. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and it works out. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. Especially when you're hiring, but if you're hiring, you end up with sort of new people to the field and that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a different kind of a challenge. You know, you're, 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 you're well, you talk about mentorship here a couple of times. Yeah. Um, like when you're hiring, you know, uh, maybe not entry level, but, but like, you know, newer people who yeah. aren't used to being in that lab laboratory setting, they're going to require a little more um, education and inspiration than somebody who's an established professional. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's true. And it's something that someone in my shoes, someone who's like a brand new principal investigator, like we have to learn how to adapt to that. Right. Because for the most part, we are going to be hiring pretty junior level folks. Like in my situation, it's kids out of college who haven't had a whole lot of research experience or maybe like graduate student, still, still students, right? You know, yeah. people who are still learning about the science as opposed to hiring more senior uh, level folks that a lot of the big name professors are able to, to get that kind of talent. But I'm... I'm kind of a nobody right now. Nobody really knows who I am. Sadly, that's the reality. Uh, even though I do have a podcast and I'm ch- chatting do. with you on the show. I, right? I've seen you in print. You're, uh, you're, you're okay. <laughs> but, but in the grand scheme of like academic science, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I've, I've got a small name. Yeah. And that is a plus and a minus. I think I get to hire a bunch of really energetic, hyped up, students who are very excited about the science and honestly are probably less jaded than more senior level folks tend to be. Right. Um, Cause I've been there. I've been in those big giant labs with like super high power leadership. Uh, you end up getting some jaded folks just cause they've been in the business for a long time, even though they're amazing scientists, they're not always the most fun to work with. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. I won't go any deeper into that. From that but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know the feeling. Um, but so, well, so what are you working on now? What's the, what's, what, what is your lab focused on? Yeah, I, I think my lab is focused on three things this is what I tell everybody. It's hearts, space, and stem cells, which are my three kind of passions. Mm-hmm. And the best projects in my lab are things that incorporate all three of those passions. And right. so I'm still working on projects that are going to send stem cell derived heart muscle cells to the space station. Uh, in the future, like I'm actually working on some follow-up projects. So potentially stay tuned for that. Can't really announce anything quite yet. Keep me in the loop. I want to hear about Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I love that stuff. I think that's just fascinating because it's, it's not just, you know, it's not sci-fi. It's, it's like, it's happening. (laughs) It's It's real real sci. It's just real sci. It sounds like (laughs) sci-fi because you're thinking about, oh, stem cells in space and beating hearts in space. What? No way. And it's like, you know, and I, 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 I laugh because I oversimplify when I, when I told a couple of people, when I first talked to you about what you're doing, um, I really want to just go tell people, you know, he's growing hearts. (laughs) He's growing hearts and they're going to put them in in people. And, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm jumping down, down the line quite a bit by saying that, but I like saying it. <laughs> I mean, Hey, it's, it's the dream of regenerative medicine and stem cell biology is still to make human organs, whether mm-hmm. it's like, it's not going to happen, probably not going to happen in space. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, but that is the dream because, and part of it is there's a, such a need for human organs because the, for example, for transplantation, there aren't a lot of human hearts out there for transplanting into people. And a lot of people, unfortunately die because they're waiting for a human heart for, for transplant. And if we could be a way to actually make more organs that are usable for transplant, then that's a great thing. And that is, I think still the, the grand dream of our field. Fantastic. So you're, um, I'm going to ask you about the the little one. You have a. You said you have a. You have a. You have a pandemic baby. I do. Yeah. I do. When when was he or she? It's a he. he. Yes. Yeah. He was born in uh, the tail end of 2020, and um, congratulations. Was, thank you, thank you. 
it was obviously like it was a challenging time with everything that was going on and all, both of us have pretty intense careers yeah. and uh, my wife is in medical training and I'm obviously starting up my own lab but you know it was just such a blessing in kind of the dark period of life that we've always been going through it was really a light and he was he still is a light in the dark for us um and it us a way to stay grounded and yeah. really reevaluate what's really important like what's truly important which uh, it's it's a cliche to say right because oh you know after you have a kid your mentality your life changes but it, it it's definitely true yeah i feel like nothing is more important than him now and i don't think i would have ever said that about a kid like five years ago you know i would have been like oh yeah it's all about my my career and doing the best i can and working hard and all that right but then you you just start to realize that once you have a kid it's about it's about him there's there's this little thing this little guy who can't survive without your help exactly exactly like i I like to say it's like it's like having you know you're a heart guy it's it's like having your heart walk around outside of your body exactly and genetically it is kind of my heart because part of me you know if we're gonna go super nerdy and go into it that way but you're right it's it's a piece of your heart that's out there walking around and he's just starting to walk now and he's causing a lot of trouble oh that's awesome i love that that's the best it's so good i'm so happy for you (laughs) it's um i and you stole my line too because it was my, my friend anthony who uh who is sort of the reason this podcast exists. He helped me set it all up and he has his own podcast network and things. Yeah. Uh, he said when, when we were expecting Aiden, who you just met a few minutes ago, yeah. Um, he said, congratulations. It will alter your perspective on everything. 100%. I said, yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks. Blah, blah, blah. And then, and then after he was born, I was like, holy cow, he was right. Yeah. <laughs> he was right on the money. Everything's Absolutely. different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's cool. And uh, you know, nothing against people who don't have kids or no, not at all. anything like that, but that, that was an extraordinary experience and I'm uh, I'm happy for you having it now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so what's new? What's, what's uh, anything we want to talk about coming up? Yeah. What's new? I mean, we got the the stem cell podcast that we talked oh, about. Oh, I know. There's something that I wanted is... to ask you about because I, oh, okay. I happened to, I happened across it when I was when I was refamiliarizing myself with you. Sure. I yeah. found a, a Forbes 30 under 30. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Here we go. Which which ain't which ain't a bad thing to have hanging around, you know? <laughs> I don't it's, have one. Yeah, you know, uh, like honestly, uh, I obviously I'm very grateful that I've received that award. Um, It's, it's cool. If, if nothing else to, to meet folks and meet other folks who have also received the award and just have like a really cool network of peers and all sorts of fields and stuff like that. It's been a bit of a double-edged sword. I'll be completely honest with you because some folks are looking at me and be like, you know, first of all, like those lists are meaningless and you do so much of your best work after you're 30 anyways. So you should, you shouldn't emphasize that. And, and also in academia, which is traditionally a, a setting that really emphasizes wisdom and age and that sort of thing, it can be a bit of a negative to say, oh, you are so young, you don't necessarily have the experience or expertise or training to do big things, right? I have socks that know more than you do. I know, exactly. <laughs> so I... I do appreciate the award and I, in some situations I, I do mention it and kind of tout it, but yeah. it's been a double-edged sword yeah. for sure. No, I can, I can see, I can see that how that would happen, but it was, it was kind of fun finding it and I knew <laughs> I had to bring it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So anything, like I said, anything, anything new, anything else uh, that, you know, it's, that's worth knowing about. Um, I guess stuff outside of science and space and all that. Like I, I love to, to snowboard, for example. Oh, do you really? It's, oh, that's cool. That's yeah. a good question to ask. Like, what do yeah. you do besides what you do for a living? Yeah, I um, I really have enjoyed snowboarding. It's not a hobby that I grew up with growing up in right. Alabama. Obviously, right. there's not a whole lot of great mountains there. Right. Uh, well, there are the Smokies, which are pretty close by, but still nothing like Lake Tahoe and no. all the great mountains out here on the West Coast. So. Right. 
whenever I get a chance, I try to get out there. It's been a, more than a year since I've been out there, just obviously with a little one and things get kind of hectic and all that. Well, you'll, but, you'll get, you'll get him up on sticks soon. Oh yeah. And, uh, Can't wait. It's, Can't we wait. got Aiden up when he was about three for the nice. first time. And nice. I, I, my wife and I were both, she was a snowboarder. I was a skier and we, nice. so we were, we spent a lot of time on the snow growing up cool. between us. And uh, so we wanted to make sure, um, even though we live in Florida, we were able to get them up and ski a bit and learn. And, and so not be fearful when he does yeah. try it when he's older. And the kids have such like low centers of gravity that they fly down the mountain. They pick it up so quick, you know? What oh, I mean? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something else. They're fun to watch. Right. So, well, good. 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 Um, that's about it for me at the moment. Although I want to hear more about the space stuff when it comes up. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much for your time. I really, uh, I, I really enjoy talking to you. It's not just, you know, interview style, but I, I really do enjoy talking to you a lot and, and learning about, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you are. So yeah. uh, I appreciate your time. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And this is a lot of fun and yeah, always happy to, to jump back on and chat a little bit more about space, stem cells, heart, snowboarding, whatever you want. <laughs> we'll do that. Let's do that. Let's make, yeah. make a point of doing that. Nice. Um, so that's Arun Sharma, a really interesting guy doing really interesting, smart work that's making the world a better place. Uh, and as important as all of that is, uh, I just really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope I hope you enjoyed listening to it because uh, he's he's really an engaging fellow, and uh, uh, I hope he has great success in what he's doing. Thanks for listening. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast and embracing the idea that making things matters, give us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to these things. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, interviewing, scheduling, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces a number of other podcasts, including the wonderful A Guest in the House about all things hip-hop. Music for the program is from the Jody Nardone trio Lights Will Guide You Home album. If you like the work we're doing, please share the StoryForge link far and wide and tell all your friends about us. And you can always send us questions or suggestions to our email at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H dot com. Or support us on our new Patreon site. You can learn more at patreon.com slash makingthingsmatters. Or just shop our store on the website at thestoryforge.com. That's the storyforge separated by hyphens dot uh, com. And click the link. Uh, called Shop at the top of the page. Thank you for listening.